Good morning and welcome. Nice to see you all. Nice to see the sun also. I'll read from Rays of the One Light. These are weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita showing the unity of these two scriptures by Swami Kriyananda. Today's topic is dogmatism versus common sense. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 7, Jesus warns, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns, or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Jesus here, as indeed many times during his teachings, counsels people to use their God-given common sense and not to rely on high-flown but undemonstrable truths. Common sense goes beyond abstract reason, for it is rooted in actual experience. Even common sense, however, is deficient when the judgment calls to go beyond sensory experience. Ultimately, what he emphasized always, therefore, was intuitive perception. Thus, he expected more of his disciples than crude common sense, and often scolded them for being too literal-minded, as he did elsewhere, when they thought his statement, I have meat to eat that ye know not of meant that he had steaks and sandwiches <laughs> secreted about his person. His reference, of course, was to spiritual, not material substance. Words, even though appearing in the scriptures, are no substitute for direct perception of the truth. Therefore, the Bhagavad Gita says in the second chapter, the sage who knows God has as little need for the scriptures as one might have for a pond when the whole land is covered in flood. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. service. It's a joy to be here with all of you. So this weekend on, on March 7th and yesterday March 9th we celebrated March 7th the Mahasamadhi of our Guru Yoganandaji. On the 9th the Mahasamadhi of Sri Teshwar, Yogananda's Guru, our Param Guru. And so I thought 
when we were reading this topic on dogmatism versus common sense, Shrek Teshwar is one of the more challenging spiritual figures to relate to. But the more you go deep and try to uh, understand his consciousness, the more blessings come. And so I wanted to use this theme of dogmatism and common sense because Sri Teshwar was such a free thinker, so expansive in his consciousness and so absolutely uh, honest and non-hypocritical about religion. So I thought this is a perfect tie-in to focus our service on Sri Teshwar. Just to share uh, briefly a personal note, uh, a few years ago we, when we were in India, we were part of a pilgrimage that went to southern India to Puri, where Sri Yukteswar, one of his ashrams is, he, he had two, one in Sarampur, where Master did most of his training, but also then in the south in Puri, where his uh, Samadhi Mandir is, where his body is still uh, buried beneath this, the marble slab, and uh, there's a little meditation area over it. And we went there with a few friends and we were meditating. And well, actually we had gone there for the first time uh, when our friends had asked us, had you ever been there? And at first I paused and I said, yes. We were here 30 years ago with Swami Kriyananda and we all meditated there. And we asked Swami to bless our discipleship. And so each one of us went to him. There were just four of us with Swami and he blessed us for our discipleship. And then we returned 30 years later. And of course, with the masters, there is no time or space. And it was as though we had just come the day before. And uh, we sat to meditate. And I felt the quality that's conveyed in the chapter and autobiography of a yogi, we'll read a bit of that in a moment. But that dynamic desire to train every one of the disciples, not as a stern uh, taskmaster, but with the joy that a teacher has for seeing bright young students and helping them to find their potential. And it was like, wow, I want to be in your school. I, wanna, I want that. And um, then we were so happy when our uh, Ananda Bell operator, the man who does all the phone system, called our uh, our, our system at home, Hiranya Loka. And I thought, great, we're going to Hiranya Loka where Sri Teshwar resides now, the higher astral world. But I want us to just take a moment during this service, or take the period we have, to just really try to open ourselves to Sri Teshwar, the way he trained Master, the, the un ceasing looking for any areas of his life that needed improvement or uh, that he wasn't putting out enough energy and just to use that as a guide in our own discipleship. So I'm going to start by reading this passage from Whispers and this is the one that Master dedicated to Sri Teshwar, my guru. Try to feel as I read it, Yogananda's lifelong many lifelong dedication and respect and spiritual admiration for Sri Yukteswar. Thou light of my life, 
Thou camest to spread wisdom's glow over the path of my soul. Centuries of darkness dissolve before the shafts of thy luminous help. As a naughty baby, I cried for my Divine Mother, and she came to me as my guru, Swami Sri Teshwar. At that meeting, O oh my guru, a spark flew from thee, and the faggots of my God-craving gathered through incarnations, smoldered and blazed into bliss. All my questions have been answered with thy flaming golden touch. Eternal, ever-present satisfaction has come to me through thy glory. My guru, thou voice of God, I found thee in response to my soul cries. Slumbers of sorrow are gone, and I am awake in bliss. If all the gods are displeased, yet thou art pleased, I am safe in the fortress of thy pleasure. And if all the gods protect me behind the parapets of their blessings, yet I receive not thy benedictions, I am an orphan, left to pine spiritually in the ruins of thy displeasure. O Guru, thou didst bring me out of the bottomless pit of darkness into the paradise of peace. Our souls met after years of waiting. They trembled with an omnipresent thrill. We met here because we have met before. Together we will fly to his shores where we will smash our planes of finitude forever and vanish into infinite life. I bow to thee as the spoken voice of silent God. I bow to thee as the divine door which leads to the temple of salvation. I bow to thee, to thy master, Lahiri Mahashaya, harbinger of yoga in Benares, and I lay the flowers of my devotion at the feet of Babaji, our supreme master. And so, in this chapter in Autobiography of a Yogi, I think it's certainly one of my favorites, years at my master's hermitage, we learn how Sri Teshwar trained master for his mission in the West. We learned how he forced him to go to college against his own will because he said, when you go to the West, you will be better received if you have a university degree. He molded him so that it wasn't in fact that Master was an avatar already. He was spiritually enlightened, but he needed the molding for this world mission that our line of gurus have brought to the world. He needed to uh, be grounded in a practicality that the West could relate to. And so, Master, I'll, I'll read this passage now. It's, it's so, I find it thrilling and just the dynamic desire for enlightened souls to train those of us who are serving the light. Sri Teshwar was reserved and matter-of-fact in demeanor. There was naught of the vague or daft visionary about him. His feet were firm on the earth, his head in the heaven of, in the haven of heaven. Practical people aroused his admiration. 
Saintliness is not dumbness. Divine perceptions are not incapacitating. He would say, the active expression of virtue gives rise to the keenest intelligence. In Master's life, I fully discovered the cleavage between spiritual realism and the obscure mysticism that spuriously passes as a counterpart. Spiritual realism versus obscure mysticism. My guru was reluctant to discuss the superphysical realms. His only, quote, marvelous aura was one of perfect simplicity. In conversation, he avoided startling references. In action, he was freely expressive. Others talked of miracles but could manifest nothing. Sri Teshwar seldom mentioned the subtle laws, but secretly operated them at will. Many miracles, many miracles associated with his life. But Master goes on to say, Sri Teshwar didn't criticize him or correct him for his inward life, because that was solid and rooted, in, perfected already. But what did he criticize him for? It's amazing. Absent-mindedness, non-observance of certain rules of etiquette, and unmethodical ways. And so he was trying to say, be practical in this world. Keep your feet firm on the ground, but your mind, your head in the haven of heaven. And this is really the guideline. One time someone asked Master about, is this a, a mystical path? And he said, oh, no, 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 it's a very practical path. That doesn't mean it's all about outward service. Obviously, our path is one. We focus on meditation, Kriya Yoga, all of the right understandings. But we need to see that this world is a training ground. It's a, it's a testing ground for applying spiritual principles into daily life. And it's when, it, we need to understand this because I would venture to say many of us who come to Master's Path have had many lifetimes in monasteries, praying, uh, just not having to deal with the realities of the outer world. That's not the life that's been given to us in this life. We are, need to see how do I take the experiences I have in meditation and have them be reflected in how I act with others and how I serve and how I wash the dishes and how I raise my children. So it's that it's it's important to understand this, that it's the interface between spiritual consciousness and activity in the world that is a path to God. Both are needed. And to bring and not to ignore one or overemphasize the other. It, there's that dynamic fruit release of energy when we are able to do that. And that's what our line of gurus modeled for us, what Sri Teshwar modeled, what Master modeled. And so we need to understand that we can't find God only by withdrawing from this world. It's not the path that Master brought to the West. But there is, we need to, a part of our way to find God will be to be dynamically active in this world, but with the thought that God is the doer, not us. That's the important 
uh, subtle thought to keep in mind. Because Sri Teshwar said, someone was saying, well, I guess they were balking at some area of service. And he said, when you are too good for this world, you will be adorning a higher one. And you can just, in that word adorning, you kind of get into his perhaps sarcasm or his dry humor. So he said, as long as you breathe the free air of earth, you are under obligation to render grateful service. So, but how do we do this properly? How do we do it with the thought that God is the doer? And there are two mistakes that one can often see made in the service and approaching activity in the world. One is kind of a passive quality. Well, God will do it. God will take care of it. This is master's work. It's all going to be fine. Well, you know, there's that joke that Swami shared with us about the Irish farmer that was, had a beautiful farm. And the priest comes and said, oh, what a beautiful farm you have, uh, brother. And what a beautiful farm God has made. I didn't present it properly. What a beautiful farm God has made for you, brother. And he said, well, it may be true, Father, but you should have seen it when God had it all to himself. <laughs> and so Master often prays that one of his most advanced women, woman disciples was Gyanam, excuse me, Durgamata, Durgamata. And he would give her amazing assignments of things to do. He was saying once he was, she and some of the other monks were painting a wall, and the monks were, you know, just kind of inwardly trying to think of God, which is good. But she was thinking of God, but she was dynamically brushing. And Master looked out the window and saw her and said, that's the way you should do it. And many, he, he told this nun, Durgamata, to go and work in auto shops to help, he wanted to, he had an idea, his was actually the first thought of a motorhome, and he had an idea of taking the chassis of a van, and then uh, it needed to be welded. He had her going for months to a an auto shop to do the welding, the greasing, the assembling this motorhome, and she was a nun working with all these auto mechanics, but he was trying to tell her, if, if you do it, actively, dynamically, with higher consciousness, that's how we find God. And so one way, a mistake, is to be too passive and think, oh, God will do it. The other mistake people make is say, I will do it with my brilliant mind, with my magnetism, with my dynamic energy. And you know, it never works out. It just doesn't work out that way. Because God's the doer. Our, what magnetism, what power, you know, another one of great, Master's great disciples, his foremost, Raja Sijanakananda, um, he, he, after seven years of practice of Kriya Yoga, he went into Samadhi, highest states, highest states of God realization. And Master one time said to him, don't forget where your power comes from. And Raja C, just like a little child, he was a self-made multimillionaire, he said, I won't master, it comes from you. To always remember, if we do it with the thought, I am going to accomplish this, even I am going to do it for God, there'll always be a diminishing underlying energy. But if we can think, God is doing this through me, 
then the power comes and the, the attunement comes and the flow of energy. That's why Master said my most, he said there were two highest prayers. One was, I, well I'll say both, so um, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind and all thy strength and thy neighbors, thyself. And the other is I will reason, I will will, I will act. Like guide thou my reason, will, and activity. Guide thou. I will do it, but you guide it. Guide thou my reason, will, and activity to the highest end in all things. So what does that mean? It means with our hands and our feet and our speech that we're dynamically serving God. We're giving it all that we've got. With our mind, we're trying to draw superconscious solutions to the problems that face us in our life. And you know, I have, it's been my experience, the problems never stop. They always are there. That's why I was thinking the other day when Christ said, you know, he, it, it, I, it, maybe it's a parable, it struck me as being so, when um, Judas was criticizing Mary for anointing Christ's feet with costly oil. And he said, that oil could have been sold and given to the poor. And Christ said, the poor you have always with you. Me, you have not always. And what, he, what I was thinking he was saying was, the problems of this world will always be there. But God consciousness is a choice. And, and so when the problems face us, don't say, oh, not this, not that. If, if only I could have, you know, an absolutely easy, unchallenging life. <laughs> you won't. <laughs> if, if you're trying to find God, you won't have an easy, unchallenging life. And if you're not trying to find God, you won't have an easy, unchallenging life because this world, it, it, it doesn't quite work. You know, that's why Alice in Wonderland, it's a, it's a wonderful spiritual parable because it's like it doesn't quite fit. It doesn't quite make sense. The flamingo that you're trying to use as a croquet mallet twists its head up. And that the world is, to quote a spiritual writer of some decades ago, Alan Watts, the world is wiggly. And if you expect to get it all in place with your will and your brilliance and all, it just will wiggle. It's like water through your fingers. It won't. And so don't, don't be upset at the problems, but just so use your mind to say, there's got to be a creative solution here. There's got to be a super conscious answer. And that's when it becomes fun because you think there's always a way out. And no matter how many problems come, you look for the way out. So you use your hands dynamically to serve your mind to be looking for super conscious create, uh, solutions. But then quietly, humbly, continually in your soul to be reaching out for attunement, reaching out for God's presence in your life. And if we can do all those, then life becomes an an easy journey towards enlightenment. Not unchallenging, but without detours. There's a direct route. You still have to walk it, but you can see the beginning and the end. And if you just keep along, then you can do it. So we look at the mission of Sri Teshwar, training master to come to the West, 
And we look at the state of the world today, which I think it's fair to say it's pretty confused. I think it's fair to say that there are many, many voices shouting different truths at the same time. It leaves us wondering, well, what is truth? Where is it? But you look at the state of spirituality, and in the East, well, in India and deeply spiritual countries, what we often find is that religion has become kind of passive or ritualistic, not dynamic. And what we find of religion in the West is that in many cases, tragically, it's become hypocritical where people say one thing, but their lives are quite different from what they're preaching. And so the mission of Sri Teshwar and Yoganandaji coming to the West and Babaji, over, Master tells us in autobiography, Babaji and Christ are the spiritual guides of the planet, helping the evolution of mankind. And Lahiri Mahashaya, who brought Kriya Yoga from the obscurity of the Himalayan caves down into the marketplace, down to the west. It's all, they all are part of this very well-conceived divine plan for the upliftment of humanity at this time. And Sri Teshwar was pivotal. If Master hadn't had his training, I don't think he, being a, a, a soul of great devotion, great tenderness of heart, I think he wouldn't have been able to survive in the West with, came in the 1920s, the roaring 20s with gangsters, 1930s, the Great Depression, the 40s, the World War II, going on into communism and the Korean War and so forth. How could he have survived without that understanding of the practical need to live your life and train your disciples to express their spirituality in daily life. And so the blend that we've been given from our path is dynamic outward service in the consciousness of God and dynamic practice of the inner religion of meditation and Kriya Yoga. And bringing it all full circle back this is what's expressed here in cooperative communities and spiritual communities. Here we are in our 50th year, and what we are modeling is how to do it. And that's why I, I think it's so thrilling to watch how this community and all of the Ananda communities operate, where the people that are working with administration and finances and community planning, they're doing it from such a high level of consciousness. And the people that are helping us spiritually and training and disseminating the teachings to the Spanish-speaking world and through the music and through online classes and through the expanding light and the meditation retreat, they're doing it with the thought that we are sharing these teachings so that people can improve their life. So it's this beautiful blend, practicality and spirituality, and this is the essence of what Master called World Brotherhood Colonies are. 
and in our 50th year, I think we need to stand back and say, well done, Lord. You have created something that is living proof of the power of God in daily life.